Imagine loving your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, and I'm so glad to be here with you again for this week's episode, which is a really cool interview with another amazing woman in the middle about taking a look at what it's like to be child-free by choice with a midlife lens. My guest today is Teresa Schechter. She is a 57-year-old documentary filmmaker and a writer in New York City. She's been making documentaries about ideas about womanhood that are sacred, aspects about women's lives that are never questioned, like motherhood. Teresa is one of those midlife women who made a decision not to have children years ago. She's very familiar with the unsolicited comments, everything from, you're so selfish that you didn't have children, to, who will take care of you when you're old? She introduces us to her documentary in progress, which is called My So-Called Selfish Life. It's a first-person film exploration of a subject so deeply embedded in the fabric of our society that we take it for granted as part of the natural order. As a society, it's assumed that all women will want children. Nothing could be more obvious, right? (laughs) And yet, this assumption also suggests it's unimaginable, inconceivable, so to speak, that a woman might make the choice not to become a mother. I know you're going to love hearing this very interesting perspective one you may not be familiar with, and I can't wait for you to meet this very special woman in the middle. Enjoy the interview. Hi, Teresa. Thank you so much for being with us today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh my gosh. So, you know, the whole, this whole topic, child-free by choice in midlife, is so interesting because for sure, children and getting pregnant and having children and all the things that get in the way of having children, it usually comes up much more in the childbearing years. But it is definitely uh, an issue that can pop up in midlife uh, with, with so many people, and it's not talked about that much. So I was so excited to talk to you about it because I have had several listeners talk to me about, well, can you feel empty without a nest? Like this whole empty nest thing. Is it, is it only, do you have to have children to feel empty or to feel a bit of a funk or like whatever is happening in midlife? So that's really why I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, taking a look at being child-free by choice with a midlife lens. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you got so interested in the concept of exploring women who choose not to have children? Well, I am one of those women, first of all. So I'm uh, 57. Uh, I live in New York City. I'm a documentary filmmaker and a writer. And um, I have been making documentaries about different aspects of women's lives for about like 18 years now, maybe. And I'm really interested in like ideas about womanhood that are sacred. And when I mean sacred, I mean these ideas about our power, our sexuality, our purpose on this earth that um, we don't entirely question 
and have been around for eons. And I think it's time to look at them and say, why do we think that way exactly? And what is it really like? So uh, one of those things was motherhood, which is this sort of, um, in some sense, it's obvious that every woman wants children. This is sort of our societal view is, is that every woman wants children. Every woman should have children. Um, and I'm sort of questioning that. I'm like, really? Does every woman really want children? Does every woman really have to have children? Um, how does that assumption affect our identities? How does it affect our choices in life? How does it affect our bodies and how we control our bodies? So that's kind of where I started with the film I'm working on now with my so-called selfish life. Oh my gosh, you know, I have several friends and family members who have chosen not to have kids and boy, do they hear about it. There's all kinds of opinions. You're going to change your mind. You're going to live to regret this decision. What's going on with all these opinions? Why do people feel co so compelled <laughs> to share these opinions? So, yeah, people who have chosen not to have children, but also people who don't have children through not their own choice hear a lot of opinions about this. And, uh, you know, some of it is you'll regret it if you don't have children. Who will take care of you when you're old if you don't have children, as if nursing homes aren't full of people who do have children who never visit them? Um, you're not a real woman if you don't have children. Uh, no one will love you <laughs> if you don't have children. I mean, you know, things like this. And, you know, the question is, is it just because people are jerks and can't keep out of your business? Maybe part of it, but there's also something much larger going on. Uh, there are these ideas in society uh, that I mentioned earlier, and I am really interested in what those larger forces are and why we believe these things to be true and why we feel compelled to tell people and warn people about things that, when you scratch the surface, actually make no sense. You know, you're right. It, it does feel like a compulsion. And I have never felt judgmental or like I needed to share that opinion. But sometimes when I think I know something, I do kind of feel like I need to share it. And I wonder if it's because you really want to be helpful. What do you think is going on <laughs> with people? I don't know. I think it's complicated, honestly. I think, I think a lot of it comes from a place of love. Um, but I also think that we don't always understand where our, our beliefs come from. Um, so there is something called pronatalism. Pronatalism is uh, translated from the Latin is for birth. So it's this idea that uh, we are for birth. Um, it's a little more complicated than that, but we can just start there. And I think because we live in a pronatalistic society, we grow up getting this message that we are for birth. <laughs> you know, that birth is great. Having kids is great. It's important. And I, I love to use this example, but think about uh, commercials for pregnancy tests. Have you ever seen a pregnancy test commercial where the happy couple is excited that they're not pregnant? 
No, I haven't. No, you haven't. <laughs> that's right. And that's because that is not how our cultural beliefs go. I would say that there are many, many, many people with uteruses who have had very happy experiences seeing that negative on a pregnancy test. Whether you want kids or not, we want to decide <laughs> when and if we're going to have them. And the negative on the test is very good news a lot of the time. Um, we never see that in commercials. I'm having a flashback right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh my gosh. So I, had th I have three kids and my husband and I were toying with the idea of having a fourth. And I was pushing 40. I may have been 40. And I thought I was pregnant. And when I got that pregnancy test result and it was negative, I was so happy. And I realized that I didn't really understand how I was <laughs> if I was that happy. You make an excellent point that uh, it's not always the positive result that you want. That's so interesting. But that's just a very small example of this idea of pronatalism. I mean, it, it extends into reproductive health care and uh, why uh, the assumption that if a woman becomes pregnant, she's naturally going to be very happy about it and it will be a great blessing for her and she should have the baby, where that's, that's, not, a, that's not a realistic or a fair thing to impose <laughs> on someone. But a lot of opponents of women having reproductive health care and rights over their own bodies uh, do sell it that way, that you should have a baby, you should have two babies. Um, if you get pregnant under unplanned or un very unpleasant uh, circumstances, you should still have the baby because it's a blessing from God. Um, these are things that are incredibly cruel and unfair. And again, it comes from that same place of pronatalism and the idea that women are here to have babies. Um, that's the other end of the spectrum from uh, pregnancy test advertising, but it is a spectrum. So, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm really thinking a lot about it now. You know, I'm coming at it from somebody who had children, but there was, mm -hmm. uh, there were many times where I had to question my beliefs and expectations. And one of them was around nursing, where it was incredibly painful. And I felt a bit of shame mm -hmm. around getting help and, and admitting how painful it was. I also remember having a girlfriend who did not enjoy having a newborn at all. And I remember thinking to myself, that's so confusing that you would actually have a baby and not enjoy the baby or that baby phase, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think the, uh, that's a great example just to, to get you thinking about what, what we just believe without question. Yeah, and there are a lot of things we believe without question, of course. It's, uh, it's how we grow up. It's in the water we drink. And, uh, you know, I think... Uh, sort of shining a light on it and asking, why do we believe this exactly? And is it a good idea to believe this? And if it's not a good idea, uh, how can we think of the world differently, perhaps? So, I mean, a lot of my work, whether it's film or if I'm writing, is concerned with that. And um, it's always fascinating. It's a really fascinating journey to try to understand these kinds of things. Oh, definitely. And what's going on with statistics and trends? 
Right. So one very interesting thing that is happening is that the um, fertility rate among women uh, 15 to 44 uh, has been dropping precipitously. Uh, these are U.S. figures, but I think Canada tracks pretty closely on things like this with the U.S. Um, basically, in the 70s, uh, one in five women between the ages of 15 and 44 uh, had a child, at least one child. Uh, now it's one in 10. So the number of women uh, who are not having children has doubled. It's not a huge amount of people, but it is statistically significant that the overall fertility rate is the lowest it has ever been. Mm. ever uh, since we've been uh, tracking this stuff for over 100 years. So you're a documentary filmmaker, and you're specifically looking at this issue. I'm sure you're interviewing so many women who've made this choice. And what do they say about making the choice and being older now and how it is playing out for them? So in the film, I uh, talk to and follow the lives of women aged 19 to 80. So it's quite a range. Um, and I will say that the women I've talked to who are in their 70s uh, and up uh, really look back on their lives uh, with, you know, some regrets because we all have regrets about things. But having children is not a regret. They're, they knew what, what they wanted uh, at the time, and uh, they are very content now. And there are some women who wanted kids, and it didn't really work out because they didn't have a partner, maybe, or uh, because of infertility issues. And they're also okay. They're like, yeah, my life didn't go in that direction. It went in another direction, but I'm happy. And I've gotten to do other things because my life went in that direction. But for the most part, people who know they don't want kids in their 20s and 30s tend to continue not wanting kids. Um, there are some people who are a bit more ambivalent. Things happen in our lives. We roll with it. But definitely women in their 50s. I, honestly, I got to say, women in their 50s are so powerful. <laughs> They're so powerful. So uh, we, keep, we, we keep being told that, you know, once we're no longer, you know, sexually attractive, whatever that means, and once we can no longer have babies, we're pretty much done with our usefulness <laughs> as women, right? That's it. That's what we needed you for. Uh, thank you. You're done. We don't even notice you walking down the street. <laughs> so, um, but the truth is that we are at the height of our powers right now. And I think that people who tell us we're no longer good for anything are just terrified of us. That's what I think. I think that we're very um, uh, scary because we have so much power and we have such a strong voice and we have so much life experience. And we're at a point where we've made a lot of decisions about our lives and we're kind of good. And if we have kids, maybe our kids are older now and we're no longer spending all our time taking care of them, raising them. Um, 
I think it's actually a really great place to be. And oh my gosh, I agree yeah. completely. I like we're older and wiser. And one thing I've noticed with feedback from the listeners, and I have a free Facebook group and my clients, is that women our age definitely undervalue the importance of a lifetime of decision making. And the way I see that come up is our ability to be a mentor. And it's so interesting because a lot of times we find mentors accidentally. Sometimes they're authors of books. Sometimes they're people like you who've made movies and really start to help us to think. But the other thing is that we have what to offer. You know, we have been around the block and it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. We have had so many experiences and so many observations and been so thoughtful and, and, have, and grew up in a very interesting time. Uh, but we don't understand it that way because of this washed up cultural view, right? So I agree with you. We are very powerful, and, and, um, but we don't really see it. <laughs> but maybe, maybe other people see it starting to. I think partly we don't see it because we don't see it in the media. We, how many roles are there for women over 40 in movies, on TV shows? Yeah. It's growing. How many women over 50 do we see in lead roles in movies? How many older women do we see in TV shows that are strong and have their own lives and are, you know, hot and vibrant and smart? You know, we, we don't see enough of it. It's getting better. But if you grow up never seeing any images, positive images of women, postmenopausal women, if no one ever talks about that, how will you ever understand how much value that has? That is true. And you brought up menopause. I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about menopause and how that plays in to being child-free. Well, I can speak personally as someone who has gone through menopause and am now postmenopausal, aside from my sheer delight in not having a period, which is great, <laughs> it's amazing, so amazing, I'm so happy. I actually have a drawer full of tampons I don't know what to do with, so I have to figure out if I could donate them somewhere. Um, so funny, one time somebody was visiting, one of my friends who was still having their period, and she's like, oh, my God, I need a tampon. Do you have one? And I said, I do. And I have the same stash that you had. I'm like, I think it's in this cupboard. <laughs> you know, my, my sister, who was also a guest on your show, my Absolutely. sister Andrea is coming to visit. And I may just give her a bag of tampons to take home with her. <laughs> Good idea. Um, so actually, it's something that uh, shelters often need, uh, women's shelters. That's one of those things that nobody thinks about that women need. Uh, so that may be another idea. But anyway, for me, uh, it wasn't just that I was happy not to have a period anymore because I always felt my period was just a real pain in more ways than one. But also as someone who didn't want kids, I no longer had to worry about birth control and uh, that was really great because I have this whole long history of 38 years of trying not to get pregnant and dealing with birth control, dealing with the side effects of birth control, trying to negotiate who is going to be using the birth control, me or a partner. Um, 
impressing upon a partner that they really need to use birth control, um, things like that. And it's a little exhausting. It's very exhausting, actually. It's expensive to, for a woman to pay for her birth control over her entire presumably fertile uh, lifespan. And it gets very, very annoying having to always be responsible for it. So that was another wonderful thing where it was like, ha, I can't get pregnant anymore. This is so great. It's so good. I agree. Oh, my God. Uh, so, you know, one thing that has come up with several of my clients <laughs> is this idea of le legacy, leaving a legacy. I'm wondering, how has that come up um, for you and your work? Um, do you mean leaving a personal legacy? Or however, however, it's interpreted because I've, I've seen it come up a few ways. Um, sometimes it's just imparting values to other family members, especially children. And sometimes it's different than that. And when there are no children, um, I'm just wondering how that has come up, if anybody has shared with you in the documentary or anything like that. I think that uh, some people who haven't had children um, are very close with either their nieces and nephews or with other younger people in their lives. There are people who are uh, educators um, who are still close to former students. Um, and one of them, actually, her husband walked a former student down the aisle oh. because she was estranged from her own parents. Wow. But uh, I think that that's one thing is just connecting to younger people and, and, you know, either being an outright mentor or just being there for love and support. Another legacy is the work that we do. I do feel like the work that I do is my legacy and will outlast me, you know, like with other things that we create, uh, hopefully will continue to impart its messages. Some people, frankly, don't care about a legacy. I mean, they just don't. It's not something that they're all that interested in. They want to live the lives they think are best for them and make the most of that. And that's it. Um, so I don't know if everyone is all that concerned about leaving something for the next generations. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. And what, what you're really getting at is that everybody's different and everybody experiences this differently and makes the decision in a very different way. And the other thing that you touched on is this idea that you need children to be a nurturer. You didn't say it that way, but it kind of comes up with this legacy work and being surrounded by younger people. And I agree. Like there are so many ways that if you want to nurture others, you can, you don't need to have your own children to do so. And something that comes up a lot with midlife women is, is the, the concept of the empty nest dog. And I'm wondering what you, yeah. <laughs> totally. right. If you don't have children, yes, I did a whole episode on that because it's one thing when kids leave and you get a dog to substitute. And I saw a, it was hysterical, some advertising that came out of Australia, New Zealand about purposefully rescuing a dog when the kids leave and just replace that kid. That good for nothing kid is not going to call or visit anyway. <laughs> it, was, it was so funny. Um, but I'm wondering, what have you seen with, with people who 
um, make a specific decision not to have children and then invite a, a beautiful animal into their lives. Um, I do think what you said earlier about everyone being different is so important to keep in mind. We exist on a spectrum, a long spectrum. So uh, no two people are alike. No two people's stories or motivations are alike. So yeah, when I speak for women or men who've chosen not to have children, um, it's so important to keep in mind that each of their stories is different. Each of their motivations is different. I do find that a lot of child-free people, and child-free is a word that has been uh, developed to indicate someone who doesn't have children by choice, as opposed to childless, which indicates that while they want children, they haven't, for whatever reason, had them. Oh, thank so you. Just to, yes, that's very important. Mm-hmm. So just to clarify that, not everyone likes the word child-free. Um, not everyone likes labels, but for purposes of our conversation, I think there's some clarity to using those words. Um, it's also a hashtag. If you are child-free or fit that description, if you plug in the word child-free as a hashtag or a search term, you will uh, uncover an entire world of uh, community and thought around this issue that you may not know exists. So child-free is also good for That's finding amazing, a community. I would, I would imagine sometimes you feel very much in the minority. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, people do feel very isolated. Uh, they do feel like they're the only people going through something, which is such a common feeling for all of us. Um, and that's another reason the word child free is helpful because it is an incredibly helpful search term. Um, our Facebook page, for example, which has the same title as the film, My So-Called Selfish Life, uh, has almost 7,000 likes, people who are part of our community. So it's almost 7,000 people who... Uh, hang out because they want to talk about this stuff and they want to see their own lives validated in the world. Um, so it's a good, it's a good thing. So you were asking about pets. So I have learned a lot from this Facebook uh, group that we have about this topic because <laughs> many people who do not have children do really love animals and have one, two, ten, <laughs> whatever, animals of various kinds, that the nurturing feelings that they have um, really express themselves best through uh, the animals that they live with. And sometimes on around Mother's Day, we ask people to, in the comments, use emojis to tell us about their pets. <laughs> <laughs> which is really fun. And then you see all these different animal emojis, including like snakes, <laughs> oh lizards, and, uh, and sometimes like little plants and trees, because that's also a thing. Um, but there are people who don't want children who also don't want animals. They, as, as many of us, you know, people, some people really like having animals in their lives. Some people don't. It's the same thing. But there is a, a rather strong correlation between people having pets, animals of different kinds, um, instead of having children, that they are just happier nurturing their animals. I'm not surprised at all. And uh, I don't know if I mentioned this to you before. I may have mentioned it in the podcast. I think I did. One of the, (laughs) my master's thesis was on the relationship between children and their pet dogs. 
So mm-hmm. I was like deep into this topic of anthropomorphizing and just the, the beautiful ways that we, we relate to animals and the meaning that they they give to us in our relationships. And it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, now, I personally have never been one to dress up a dog. <laughs> That's, I draw my line there, but I think it's adorable and I'm attracted to it. And I saw um, a really funny thing on Facebook this weekend where somebody had this toad that was visiting regularly. And this person started to make these little hats and just photograph the toad wearing a little hat every time the toad came to visit. And I'm like, you know what? I could get around that. I could do that. But I don't think I'll be dressing up my 140-pound Newfoundland anytime soon. <laughs> that is one very patient toad, I have to say. <laughs> it's so, so funny. But I'm really glad we talked about this because the idea that you need children to nurture is not so. There are many ways that you can express yourself and and feel love and give love, and it doesn't have to be just one way. So I love that. I would also add that it is not necessary to be somebody who wants to nurture anything. I think that's just fine. Um, Again, there is a wide spectrum of behaviors and existences and One thing that is a little bit of a pet peeve for me is that because I don't have children, people try to come up with substitutes for children for me. You know, like when I I, I used to have two absolutely lovely cats and people would, um, what's the word? They don't anthropomorphize. What's the word when they make other objects like children, right? So they'd be, oh, you're a cat mom and all of that. And I'm thinking, I know the difference between cats and babies. There is a difference. It's not the same thing. And I love my cats, but I don't feel like their mother necessarily. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I, I kind of felt like their maid, <laughs> really, honestly, their servant. But, um, but in the same way. I, I totally yeah. feel that way. Right? <laughs> right? Um, and I have to say, some parents may also feel that way about their kids. But, um, but I, I, I sort of felt like, why is there a need to find some sort of substitute so I can still use this so-called maternal instinct for something? Oh, you're giving birth to your movies. And I'm like, it does kind of feel like that sometimes (laughs) because it's long and painful. But no, I'm I'm not, (laughs) I don't want the top level description of my life to have something to do with motherhood. I think we can create and nurture. Sure, absolutely. One way we can do that is by being a parent. But I don't want the parenthood to be at the top of that pyramid, and then we all get to be fitted into that in some way. Oh my gosh, it's so good that just to question everything and really decide what it is that you think based on what it is that you think. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Again, I think that's part of the whole pronatalist society we live in, that everything is done through a lens of parenthood and a lens of motherhood. And this is not to in any way denigrate parenthood or the importance of parenthood. I have incredible respect for people who parent. I really respect what hard work it is and the level of sacrifice that is sometimes involved and also the amount of joy that can come with it. Um, It's just not something I chose to do. And I 
don't care to have my whole life defined in those terms. It's just not the top level of this, you know, uh, flowchart of life experience. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Uh, so what would you say your best advice is to women in the middle when it comes to living your life? My best advice is shut out the noise as much as you can. And this is difficult. It's so difficult because there are people who are constantly trying to tell us who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. And it's turning this ship around takes a long time. So if people are telling you who you are supposed to be or what your worth is, in a negative way, we, we all need these sort of earplugs um, to, to just keep out the onslaught of messaging that we get from a society that does not have our best interests at heart. They don't. They either want to sell us stuff because they want us to feel ugly and fat and unattractive you know, they want us to behave a certain way because now that we're not good for sex or babies, we just need to get out of the way and please stop talking already. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of that. And again, I think you have to sit and, and listen for those things and understand what you're hearing and where it's coming from and then shut it out. And oh, that's so good. Lost. I think maybe I should be distributing those for free. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> right. Maybe when I hit a big podcast milestone, that'll be a fun freebie to, to get out. But I want to hear more about your documentary. We'll end the interview that way. Tell us more about my so-called selfish life and where we can uh, see more about it and get involved. So my documentary, My So-Called Selfish Life, it's actually my third uh, feature-length documentary, so full-length documentary. Um, I've done two other full-length documentaries and a bunch of short films. This is the third. It's actually a trilogy. I've decided that my three feature documentaries are now a trilogy. Um, and we are right now in this kind of mixed uh, phase of both filming and editing at the same time, because we're, there's still things we need to film, but we also want to start constructing the story to see where it's going and what's missing. So we're doing both things at the same time, and also fundraising. So fundraising is really, really important and my least favorite thing to do. <laughs> I can't, I don't know many people who say, oh, I love asking people for money. That is my favorite thing to do. But that is also taking up a lot of my time right now, writing grants, and we're planning a little fundraiser in New York, I think. Um, documentaries cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, and uh, so we're not supported by anyone except our audience right now. Uh, so that's an ongoing thing, and uh, that's what's taking up most of my time is raising money so we can continue to shoot and edit because we have to pay our incredibly talented collaborators for their work. Um, so the film is coming together. It is a really a wonderful group of women and some men telling their own personal stories from their own personal viewpoints. And can I mention this? Feel free to cut it out if it's too long, but I wanted to mention this earlier. One of the things about telling the story of making the choice to be child-free is that this pronatalism that I keep talking about 
often uh, becomes an excuse to decide who should have children and who shouldn't have children. Mm. So pronatalism promotes childbirth in certain groups in, in this continent, uh, at least the U.S. and Canada, that would be white middle-class women. And it seeks to prevent having children in kind of everyone else, poor people, people of color. Um, there have been uh, American and Canadian government initiatives to forcibly sterilize women of color to prevent them from having children or too many children. So this is a real thing. And this is something that we need to understand. In Canada, it has especially been with Indigenous women, and it's still kind of going on. So it's a very important part of this film because I don't think this gets talked about enough. And we have a couple of people in the film who talk about it. One is an African-American professor uh, who talks about how she relates to her own community as someone who not only doesn't want kids, but chose to have her tubes tied. It's a very complicated conversation mm. to come up out of this legacy and then say, yeah, but I actually don't want children and I have actually done the thing that had been done to generations of women against their will. So it's, su it's super fascinating. Uh, and so that's a part of the film too. Um, so if people do want to learn more about the film, which by the way is a comedy, <laughs> despite <laughs> the grim <laughs> information I just shared with you, uh, it is a comedy because I really believe taboo subjects should be handled with humor. I want people to stay in the conversation. I want them to be engaged. Uh, and I think comedy is a way to do that very, very effectively. So before I scare anyone off. So well, there's a trailer on your website, right? <laughs> there is. Yes. yes. So I would invite everyone to go to the website, which is myselfishlife.com. That's myselfishlife.com. And the link um, will be in the show notes for sure. Yeah, awesome. And we have uh, a few trailers. We actually have some with Chinese subtitles, which is a whole other story. Um, but if you want to show your Chinese grandmother, <laughs> you can. Um, so we have trailers. We have short one-minute videos that our audience has sent in. So we're always... Uh, accepting more videos from our audience, talking about their own experiences, and the videos are awesome. Um, we have this amazing comic that I did with cartoonist Ali Schwed, which is like this really long online comic about the child-free choice. Probably my favorite thing I have ever done in my life is become a comic book character <laughs> and put together a whole comic. So there's a lot of resources there. Um, and I definitely invite you to watch the trailer, which is super fun. And there's also a place to kick a few bucks our way if you are so inspired. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And you know, what's really becoming obvious is that there's a community here and that nobody needs to feel alone. And a lot of people may have been dealing with this feeling like, they couldn't really talk about it comfortably and it would, you know, just feeling odd and disconnected. And here is a thriving community of support and connection and, you know, information, real information. I love it. So thank you so much for sharing this. Teresa, this has been awesome. You've really helped to raise my awareness as to what's going on um, with several of my close friends and family members. And thousands and thousands of women out there who are child-free by choice. And in midlife, I just think it's so important to, 
to put that lens on it as well. Yeah, come hang out with me, everybody. I do a monthly letter, uh, which is really fun, and I rant about something. Oh, I love <laughs> a good rant. A good rant is a good <laughs> rant. Yes, and you're getting it from the point of view of a 57-year-old woman who's... <laughs> You know. It's also in New York, a little edgy, right? I it's it. a little edgy in New York, although I am a Canadian, so, you know, there's a little bit of mixing there. Anyway, yeah, I'd love to hear from folks very much oh, that's about their great. own lives. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us and have a great week. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Thanks. That's it for this episode. I'm sure you'll agree. Teresa is really helping to shed light on an important topic to be aware of. As we get older, I find myself really wanting to understand more and more about what is happening with other women our age. Anything around the decision to have children or not usually happens when you're much younger than you are now. And I just love applying this midlife lens to a topic we may not have thought about for quite some time. Actually, I was pretty unaware of some of the topics that Teresa shared. It's such a reminder to keep asking questions. The way we talk about mindfulness strategies is so relevant here. When we dig in, we know it's so important to raise awareness of the exact thought we're thinking. You can simply apply this strategy here as well. Really, really think about why you think certain things, especially around people who have made different decisions than you have. Why are you so opinionated? Why do you feel so compelled to share your opinions? What are you expecting the recipient of your comments to think, to feel, or to do? How do your thoughts make you feel? Do you like your reasons for thinking those thoughts? Remember, everyone is different. I think a great strategy is just to try to be more curious in general. About all of your thoughts, actually. (laughs) You can't go wrong. My focus as a midlife coach is to help you get excited about your life again. Being the queen of your brain domain is the best way to be. Check out the show notes with more information and links and to see Teresa's trailer of My So-Called Selfish Life at SusieRosenstein.com. Download my free ebook, Nine Secrets to Get Unstuck in Your 50s at SusieRosenstein.com forward slash nine secrets. And whenever you're ready, there are three great ways I can help you learn to think on purpose so that you can get excited about your life again, even this year. The first way is to join the free Women in the Middle community Facebook group. Connect with other amazing midlife women in there who are ready to start regret-proofing their lives. It's so much fun to know you're not alone. Head over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash women in the middle community. The second way is to work with me directly and get unbelievably effective coaching to take you from being stuck and confused to being crystal clear and excited about your future. Grab your kickstart call right away at talktosusie.com. And the third way, get on the wait list for my new midlife membership. This is an upbeat virtual community for 50 plus women who want clarity, courage and connection to get excited about their lives again. Go ahead and sign up at susierosenstein.com forward slash membership so you don't miss a thing. Let's do this, ladies. Let's learn to think on purpose. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. 